welcome back to the Career Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Williams, and on this week's episode, I spoke with Bridget Casey. When I started Stocks and Squats and joined Twitter, Bridget's tweets immediately stood out to me in the personal finance space. I loved her candor, her humor, and how she managed to both drag and educate people at the same time. It was an instant follow. I reached out to talk about her career journey, which involves seven years of postgrad education and lots of twists and turns. Keep listening to hear Bridget break down her career so far, talk about how women can overcome the bro culture of crypto, and how she became the founder of a multi-six-figure business. Thank you, Bridget, for joining us on Career Woman. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So let's get right into it. Let's start off with your experience in college. And you are in Canada, correct? So it is a little different than the United States. I am in Canada. It's the same. It's just cheaper. It's way, way, way cheaper to go to school here. (laughs) 10 times better. (laughs) That's music to my ears. So tell us about your college experience and what you wanted to study at first and how that changed over time. Yeah, so I actually got a bachelor's degree in chemistry, which is very funny now. I think at the time, I really wanted to be a doctor because I felt like that was the shortest, most straightforward route to a six-figure income, which was what I really wanted. I had grown up in poverty, so economic security as an adult was something that I like. I really, really desired, and that seemed like the easiest way to get there. I didn't end up getting into medical school the first time I applied, so I did a year in a master's degree, a master of science degree intending to just reapply again, but that I actually never did. And instead, what I did was quit my master's degree halfway through, I walked all the way across the quad on campus, and I went to work for the Faculty of Engineering. I was there for two years. And while I was there, I was blogging about paying off the student debt that I had accrued in undergrad. And my blog kept growing bigger and bigger. I was getting really interested in personal finance. And I decided I actually wanted a career in finance because I learned investment bankers are paid even more than doctors. So that that was my next choice. And I actually went back to school and I got an MBA in finance. And while I was in my MBA program, I took a lot of classes on entrepreneurship, which was really interesting to me because I even took one class on like venture capital and private equity investing. And we had some seasoned entrepreneurs come in. And then these people were talking about like multi-million dollar exits. And I was like, wow, that's much better than a six-figure income. I want to do that. And so it was in my MBA that I decided I'm probably better suited to becoming an entrepreneur. I want to build my own company. And that's exactly what I did once I finished my degree in finance. I've come a very long winding journey, but it was, it was fun the whole way through. Do you like school? I don't know that many people who would put themselves through that. <laughs> through seven years of post-secondary? Yeah, I actually love school. It's like a compulsion. I always think that I want to go back. I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but even like last year, I yeah. took the LSAT because I was like, maybe I'll want to go to uh-huh. law school. Like I do really love, I really love school. And that kind of ties into what you do now, right? Where you teach and you have a learning business. So how did you transition into entrepreneurship after school? Yeah. So while I was in my MBA in finance, my website was earning enough uh, income to support me in school. It wasn't a ton, but it was definitely enough to pay my rent and like buy groceries so I could survive as a student. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm like, wow, I really wish I had like a business. I need a business 
idea. And I made the decision to create like digital products. And now there's tons of e-courses online, but this would have been like 2014. It wasn't quite as prevalent as it is now, but I decided to create an e-course. I just honestly sent an email to like my email list and was like, what do you want to learn more about? Everyone said investing. And so that was the first course I created, which I still teach today called the six figure stock portfolio. Now I have a few other courses and paid webinars and do like a bigger array of events and things like that. But yeah, it all started with the six figure stock portfolio. And it's still I would say my flagship teaching program that I that I teach. And it was an interesting journey the whole way through because I know you and I have talked about this before that while I was like in undergrad, to earn extra money. And because I was such a strong student, I was hired to TA the organic chemistry labs, like in the summers. And then even when I did my um, one year of my master of science degree, I was teaching like a seminar in microbial genetics. So I got all this excellent teaching experience. And even when I was working for the faculty of engineering, I was in charge of two classes. So I was lecturing to classroom of 500 students twice a week. So I had gotten six years of teaching experience Wow, through undergrad and grad school, my working school. And now it's so funny because I use that experience so often. Like it really is like my yeah. day-to-day life and what I do. And it's so funny that like, I thought I was in school for chemistry, but I was really learning like these great. You were really learning how to teach. I was learning how to teach and that has benefited me so much. And that's how I kind of look at the college experience now and how I hope other people look at it is you don't necessarily know what skills you're acquiring that you'll use them in the future. But as long as you're like trying new things and working hard, like you're, you're probably getting a lot that will be useful to you at some time in your life. Definitely. I mean, I can relate to that. Like I had a startup in school also that just flopped before I graduated. I look at it as a blessing in disguise. Don't feel sorry for me. Um, But I had to pitch my business to like hundreds of people. I had to do like all those Mm -hmm. pitch competitions, like when I was in school and I was so scared to like speak in front of people and do that. But then looking back, because I did it and I kind of got the opportunity to get over the fear and get more comfortable, it has, oh my God, paid me back in dividends for lack of a pardon the financial (laughs) pun, because now I do that all the time. Like I have to present in my work. I have to present my entrepreneurship things, like my workshops and It's amazing that I thought I was going to study management and here I am. (laughs) It's like what I always think of is I love that Steve Jobs convocation speech that he Mm -hmm. gave many years ago where he says you can only connect the dots in reverse. And I I really like believe in that. So I think that as long as you're following your passions and you're going for things that interest you, even if they don't really make sense to the people that are around you because I got told mm-hmm. to try to apply to medical school again yeah. not to drop out of my uh, master's degree I got told to stay at the faculty of engineering because I had like a cushy pension and a nice job and then I got told to stick with investment banking I got told not to start my own company because it was too risky like but I kept doing what I wanted to do and now it has played out so beautifully and yeah you really Amazing. can only connect those dots in reverse it's true so Uh, On the transparency note, when you were working as a teacher, like teaching those courses for faculty and stuff as a teaching assistant or what what was that title and how much were you getting paid for it? Yeah. So when I was TAing the labs, I was just a teaching assistant, a laboratory instructor. I didn't do any other work and they were really condensed because they were in the summer. I think they were 
like six weeks long and I would get paid $3,000 per class. And I was teaching like the labs every day. Like the reason I was teaching it as an undergrad is because the grad students didn't want to do it. <laughs> so that's why, that's why they gave the jobs to like. That sounds like grad student behavior. <laughs> like grad students were like, no way, we're not teaching. The, we, we'll do them once a week during the school year, not every day during the summer. So that's how I got that job. I remember I got paid $3,000 um, per lecture. When I went to work for the university, my starting salary was like pretty good at that time. That would have been t- 2011. And my base was $50,000 with full health benefits and a pension. And I only had to work 35 hours a week. It was great. And yeah, that is that, nice. Yeah, it was. That's why people didn't want me to leave my cushy job right. to do something <laughs> insane, like go spend more money on school. And while I was in my MBA, because I did become interested in like the venture capital and angel investing, I actually went to work for a small angel investing firm in the city because the second year of our MBA, our classes were all in the evening because they wanted us to go work during the day. So I was working nine to five and then going to class at night. And I think my starting salary for that was like 70 or 75,000. And I think it was like just under $80,000 when I left. I I left at the time I graduated though. I think if I had stayed and come in with my MBA, maybe I would have gotten a raise, but I just bailed and I went to run my own company where my income was like $30,000 the first year. But it grew. (laughs) So walk us through that. I know you definitely had to combat a lot of people telling you that you were doing the wrong thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's just the journey of an entrepreneur and a lot of people will project their own insecurities on you. And especially when it comes to something like our income, like we're all living like it's our livelihood and when people perceive you as being careless with something as important as your livelihood they have like lots of opinions on it and yeah so I my first year I think I made like thirty thousand dollars like so the lowest I'd been paid ever (laughs) yeah and like influencing wasn't a thing right like it wasn't as popular as it is now No, and the platforms weren't the same that they were now. Like you didn't have the same marketing um, capacity that we have now. It wasn't as clear how to monetize things. Brands were reluctant to uh, work with you. And again, like I was one of the first people offering online courses and everyone was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to take something online, which now after a year, like two years in a pandemic, we're like, oh, everything everything should be online. But at the way ahead of your time. Yeah. But then that's another thing, right? When even when that happened, and I got asked to do speaking engagements and stuff, even during the pandemic, and people were like, well, we're all on zoom now. Are you comfortable with that? And I'm like, I've been doing this for six years. So yeah, no problem. I'm a seasoned speaker. (laughs) But yeah, so my first year of business was like $30,000. And then I was pretty consistent about doubling that every single year with the exception of the year I had my daughter that slowed me down just because I had to take a very short maternity leave. And the first year of the pandemic, I had like a little bit of a drop. But otherwise, it's been like very, like, I just double it every year. And it's been an incredible journey in that. And I think I I told you this already, but like last year, I did $300,000 for my business. And I think I took home uh, $250,000 of that, which is like, phenomenal. And it's now it's really nice to be in that position and realize like I did make 
the right choice. Like I might not have that income if I was a doctor or even in investment banking, like I might have to do so much more work to grind and climb in my career. And I just shortened the timeframe. And there's also Mm -hmm. no ceiling to your income as an entrepreneur. Like I'm working hard on doubling that again this year. And then, I mean, if I can double it again next year, I could have a seven figure income online, which it blows my mind. But also when you're there, it, it seems so possible. Once you start Mm-hmm. taking those strides, you're like, oh, I I see how this could work. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's so interesting that salary cap argument where if you're a doctor or an investment banker, like, yeah, you can make a good amount of money, but you're at a cap. Like you're not going to make more probably than a certain amount. And you put a lot of time and effort into <laughs> that versus entrepreneurship. You put time and effort into it, but it's your baby. It feels different, I think. And you don't have that cap. what you put in is what you get out. It does feel different. And you, you make a lot of more decisions with your time. Like it's nice for me as a mom that I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule to accommodate my child. And it's nice. And I also like my argument for entrepreneurship is you are more productive because you work when you want to work. If I wake up and it's a day where it's like, it's just not working, I can't do it. I just don't work that day. If it's a day where I'm feeling insanely inspired and gung ho, I will put in 12, 14 hours. I will work all day, put my child to bed and then work another six hours at night because I can get so much done because I'm in the groove. And I love that about entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. that it's actually made me more productive, more effective. And I think that's like why more successful because you really are optimizing your energy more than your time. I think you're onto something there. I (laughs) haven't even considered that, but it's true. Like being stuck and constrained in that nine to five Monday through Friday mindset. Like I have definite days where I'm more creative and I can get a lot of done stuff done with content and like making videos and other days where I'm, I'm it's I'm pooped. I'm not doing it. But those creative days are. (laughs) Yeah, you you work those days and you're like, oh, my God, I did six days. I have a week's worth of work. (laughs) And it's crazy. And so I've always like focused on when am I most productive, like times of day, times in the week. And I I organize my schedule around that rather than like these are the hours that you work. And yeah, Yeah. it makes it so much easier (laughs) to be successful, I think. Yeah. So tell us more about how you scaled your business. How did you grow that community and that platform? I mean, yeah, we could do, I could talk forever about this because it's something that I, (laughs) that I care so much about, but in terms of like growing a community and growing a platform, I mean, the first thing is just to provide a lot of value to your audience. Like you really have to deliver something that is unique. And I think when you are in the influencing space or anytime that it's a personal brand, like you are actually the product because I'm not necessarily even selling a hack for the stock market or something, but I am teaching the methods to invest profitably, but people are paying to learn it from me. It's not because it's like a secret sauce. Well, the secret sauce is my method. And as long as you're delivering something really of value and you acknowledge that you're the product that you're selling, that's the way to do it. And then I think it's really important to give tons of value away for free. A lot of people, like it seems counterintuitive, but I think if you give a lot of great value away for free, people trust you and they also want to reciprocate and compensate you. And I'm totally okay if like 98% of my audience never opens their wallet for me. I hope that they get great value for my content because even just like the 2% that does buy my courses, like that's enough. 
And I, I love that balance because I feel like I can help a lot of people without making demands on a lot of people, I guess is the way, the way to put it. Absolutely. And then I'm also like the secret really to succeeding online or building a community is just showing up for them. One of the reasons I think that my business has done so well in the past uh, few years is because I am online every single day and I am engaging with people every single day. Like I basically live in my Instagram stories. I do tons of Instagram (laughs) lives. I'm really accessible and I am really engaged. Like I answer hundreds of DMs a day like most people are surprised they're like oh I didn't think you would ever DM me back and I'm like well I DM I try to DM everyone back and I think like that those personal relationships are what is is really important like granted it gets harder as your business is growing and scaling but then you find ways to do it like in an Instagram live it's really easy for me to ask answer a question as it's like scrolling past on the screen and Mm -hmm. often it's like 30 other people had the same question. So it's, yeah. it works that way. And yeah, just showing up consistently for your audience, mm-hmm. delivering tons of free value and being like, if you want to support me, you can buy my products. If you can't do it right now, like that's okay. I'm still so glad that you're here and that you're getting so much value out of my content. Yeah, that trust is huge. But I guess on that note, I'm curious how it's, I guess it's tough as an entrepreneur to have that work-life balance, right? Because <laughs> you don't, it's, always a different day and you have a daughter so how do you prioritize your own mental health you know instead of it seems like you're very accessible how do you make time for yourself oh that's a good question that's probably a skill I haven't mastered yet a lot of people haven't (laughs) including me yeah so I mean the nice thing about having a child actually is that my work is mostly restricted to those regular hours because that's when I have childcare. So I work mostly traditional days and it also stops me from working part of the evenings, like five to eight. I don't do any work because I have to make dinner. I have to put her to bed. So that gives me a break as well during those times. And it's really like I'm very deliberate about being present. So my phone is either not with me or like often it's in another room because I put it down somewhere and forgot during those hours that I play with her. And that gives me like a bit of a de-stress. And then I think it's really important for people, whether you're an online entrepreneur or anyone, you have to set boundaries of where you want to engage, whether it's with your staff or with with your audience. My channel is very like financially focused and there's actually not a lot uh, about my personal life on there. And that's a way that I divide it. Like occasionally I'll say, share like randomly super personal things, but then other times I'm like very cagey and protective, but I know what things I want to share and what I want to be public facing and accessible. And I know what I, I don't feel comfortable sharing and just having those boundaries and really, and also telling myself like Instagram is work for me. It's not a personal platform. And I do like my phone tells me when I've spent, I've gone over my time limit of Instagram for the day and things like that. And that I just like obeying those and shutting down when it's been too much. Uh, Cause I'm more concerned about screen time than the actual work. (laughs) I'm just like, don't look at a screen 17 hours a day. Sometimes my eyes will just glaze over with how long I'm just looking at screens all day. It's horrible. Like 20 years from now, they're going to tell us like, we're all going to go blind or something. No. Yeah. Like if we're not already. So I've also started doing like a lot of my work, actually, like I write in notebooks, like I'll plan out content 
with old paper and pen just to give myself a break of the screen time. But I also feel Mm -hmm. like that cuts down, like now we're on a kind of a random tangent. So I hope I'm still answering (laughs) your question. But absolutely. (laughs) But that cuts out on the distractions too, because it's very easy on your phone, especially when your work is on your phone. You're like, I'm going to check Instagram. I'm going to check email. I'm going to check Twitter. I'm going to like get a ping. (laughs) Yeah. And you're always distracted. And I found like if I'm writing with pen and paper for like 45 minutes I get so much more done because yeah those notifications yeah. aren't in my face so that's been mm-hmm. my newest hack <laughs> going that's a analog. Good note. I'm gonna steal that <laughs> I'm gonna steal that one because I get so distracted like I'll go on my phone and I'm like oh I have to check like what the notifications are on TikTok and then I'll get like an email and I'm like go back there and oh my gosh I can't can't stay in one area (laughs) yeah and I mean on that note because this is tangently related for managing your business but also managing your life is I love to do the like the paper and pen exercises for any kind of big planning whether I'm doing big content planning it's basically like brainstorming or dreaming and drawing it all out but I do Uh that as much for my personal life as I do for my business like even everything that I'm living right now I like wrote this down five years ago where I'm like I I want my income to be this much I want my day to look like this I want to work these hours I want to travel this much and really sitting down and being clear about those things I think has really helped me achieve them because I think people get very stuck in their careers or wherever they are because you're just doing the day-to-day you can't really see ahead of you or you're like the only other option is like I'll get promoted and that's then I do five more years of the same thing but I think you should really like push yourself to dream as big as you can and make it Mm -hmm. as tangible as you can and the easiest way to do that is just to write it down yeah and that manifestation like people always joke about it but manifestation is so real it has worked for me so many ways like that I make pen and fun paper of it and it is never not loud. <laughs> I make fun of it all the time and I was like that's so woo mindset is so dumb yeah. I was thinking it has literally always worked there's never been a time in my yeah. life where it didn't work so I guess on that note then with trying to find the right path and figuring out like manifesting manifesting that stuff you changed your path so many times <laughs> so do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure it out trying to make that path ahead that they they don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Like the times I was changing my path so frequently, I think I I didn't I never manifested anything. I wasn't very clear yeah. about it. So maybe that's one of the reasons that it looked so disorganized. And yeah. there are times where I've been like planning my life and I didn't even know what my career would be, but I knew like mm-hmm. the kind of lifestyle, the kind of hours Um, how I wanted my job Mm -hmm. to feel fulfilling because there's a lot of different ways whether you find it like personally fulfilling in something creative or you want to have a social impact in the world and you just have to know Mm -hmm. like what your values are and what is important to you because knowing those then you'll recognize the opportunities when they come along and I think also knowing where you're really skilled is also a secret like one of the reasons I kept getting these like teaching positions is because I am a really engaging speaker and I'm very comfortable in front of an audience 
And that's a skill set that I have that a lot of people don't. A lot of people are terrified of public speaking. And and just knowing I'm like, this is a thing that I can do. And so when those opportunities came up, they really felt like very uh, made for me because, and Mm -hmm. that also makes the competition smaller, right? Like if you have a skill set that not many people can do, there's not many people to compete against. (laughs) It's true. A lot of people are scared of public speaking, myself included, but like practice makes perfect. Like it's so hard to become a good speaker if you're not good at it naturally, unless you actually go out and do it. And that's the hardest part. (laughs) Yes. And that's the other thing also, like, it's funny, those jobs that I said yes to when I was younger were, it was like out of debt, like I just needed money. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'll TA anything. It's funny how you end up in a certain place after making decisions like that. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think it's also part of like holding out for what you um, really yeah. want because even when I got that job where I had like fifty thousand dollars a year salary and a pension and stuff like that, that wasn't the only job offer that I had gotten. I had interviewed nice. for other jobs and had some, and when they're like, "Oh, we'll start you at thirty-seven thousand, or they had like a good salary, but the job wasn't that interesting. Like I turned mm-hmm. those down when I didn't have another job. Like I was unemployed. Right. And it was very <laughs> scary to turn that down and hold out for the job that I wanted. But I knew that if I accepted one of these jobs, it would just delay the time until I got yeah. the job that I wanted. Because I, I would be working. I wouldn't be like out going to interviews, submitting resumes and doing things like that. And I think that also helped me as an entrepreneur because that was the only way I could tolerate a year making 30000 a year making 60000 when all my MBA yeah. friends were like out they graduate into like $130,000 a year jobs, like right out of school. And I'm the broke one making 30 grand a year, but just like knowing like I'm in this because the what's coming in the future. And this is just a step to the future. And I can just like get through this. I can just deal with it Mm -hmm. because it is part of that journey. And yeah, Yeah. you have to acknowledge that those, those steps that are really hard, those are just Mm -hmm. the steps to get there. You can't go around them. You can't skip them. You have to. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and they're just uncomfortable. Like that's the other thing with building your career in your 20s and even 30s is it's uncomfortable. It's not easy. Like we don't just slide into our dream job and we're like, oh, I've made it. It's here. Like it does. You have to be strategic. You have to find those opportunities. You sometimes have to let go of things that are mediocre or even good because you're like, there's something better that I want ahead. Yeah. How did you maintain that confidence and positivity when you were building your business, you know, in spite of all the imposter syndrome and everyone telling you like, this might not be a good idea. Like, what are you doing teaching courses on the internet? (laughs) I mean, now, again, we're talking about it. The dots are connected in reverse. So yeah, in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, now I can like form this narrative. I think when I was younger, there was a lot more self-doubt and it was very uh, difficult to hear those external pressures but I just thought like at the end of the day I'm the only one that has to live my life I'm the only one that has to live with the con- like the consequences of my choices and so it doesn't actually matter even if a close friend or family member says hey I don't think this is a good idea because they don't have to live with the consequences of my decisions I do and so what consequences am I willing to accept and I I figured like and especially when you're in your 20s like a year um, where maybe you're underemployed or you don't earn as much, or if your startup does fail, 
it's not a big deal. It feels like a big deal when you're young because it's like maybe the first big thing that you've ever done. But like now when I look back at like various businesses I started or times like where I was not earning a good income, it's like whatever. Like it was one year or a few months out of my 20s and it just doesn't make a big difference in the grand scheme of your life. Like it just, it feels so huge when you're young, especially when it's those first years of your career because you're like, this is my only career experience is failing. But yeah, <laughs> later, like when you're so far in, you're like, oh, that was really only one year or two year or even five years yeah. in my 40, 45 year career. And it's, it's just not, yeah. it, it just doesn't matter as much as you think it does. No. And something I always tell people, like I get a lot of comments on my data analytics videos where people are like in their thirties or their forties and they're like, am I too old to learn this? And I'm like, you're going to be working till you're like 70. You've got another like 30, 40 years to figure it out. Start now. Like you have all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. you And that's really like what life should be is you shouldn't get yeah. caught up in trying to like make other people feel comfortable with your life choices. Yeah. It should be about you. And again, this is why I like all that manifesting helps. It's like, what mm-hmm. do I want my life to look like? What is most important to me and then you have to do that and you have to like really stick to it because I do think we live in a world that has very rigid ideas of what success is or um, what you should be doing with your time the schedule that you should be like living your life on and the way Mm -hmm. that you should uh, do things and I've just felt like you should just do what you want and it's just it's just better it's your life (laughs) you hold the the drive you're in the driver's seat (laughs) yeah I've never like I've never regretted a decision that I've made for myself and again like now connecting the dots in reverse I knew I was right but even the times when things didn't work out the way that I wanted I was still glad that I did what I wanted and learned whatever I needed to from it and could move forward with that because yeah it looks like success now but when you look back on that it was like I couldn't afford like tuition. That's why I was working during the school year. I didn't get accepted to medical school. Like I Mm -hmm. never did get any of those investment banking jobs. Like it's, it's, there's little failures in there. You just, you forget about them because there's so much more success that will overshadow that in the grand. It doesn't matter. Of your life. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Love it. So you're known as one of Canada's resident cryptocurrency experts. Yeah. So I would love to talk about how you recommend women get past like the bro culture that surrounds crypto. Like how do you how do you think women can get around that kind of like a roadblock in terms of learning about crypto and investing? Oh, that I mean, that's a really good question. And it's such a challenging thing, just because of the yeah. nature of the space, like finance in general is so male dominated as well. But crypto is like, mm-hmm. a subgroup that's like, um, misogyny on steroids a lot of the time. <laughs> but there are really good women in cryptocurrency. And if you do go into those communities, like you will find them, and just embed yourself in the web three culture and blockchain and they do exist and like staying away from the environments that are really toxic because there are like discord servers or reddit ones and if you go in there they'll just like eat you alive and it's so scary but that doesn't have to be 
the part of Web3 yeah. that you participate in a lot more are friendlier and more open. It's hard to move in there because there aren't very many women and a lot of the men in that space, even if they're like good people and they're accepting, they don't realize how bro culture <laughs> it is. There. Yeah. And so sometimes even just like speaking up to them or like explaining when things are unfriendly to women, like I got asked to speak at like some cryptocurrency event for a startup and they sent me like their executive team and there was no women, there's no women at their company. And I was like, no oh women gosh, work brother. And they didn't, <laughs> they didn't notice. And so I still call out those things and I'm trying to make space yeah. for other women in this space, but you do have to go into it knowing you kind of have to be more of a trailblazer and there's not like, it's not going to be as welcoming as ideally it would. Yeah. But women should definitely get involved because there's money out there for all of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. It's a hugely profitable space. It's a really exciting, innovative technological space there's lots of startups that are cropping up there and there's going to be huge opportunities and there's going to be huge opportunities for women as well so yeah yeah go go full on in it I'm curious how do you feel about nfts I mean I like them in general depending like what kind of nfts they are and what you use them for I have purchased like art nfts with no expectation yeah. of ever making money it's just to like support yeah. a cool creator um otherwise uh -huh. like the nfts I mostly get are from games like anytime you play a blockchain yeah. game the digital assets are technically like all nfts and that's a good way like they generate passive income through like staking your crypto in these games so i mean i like them they're super fun and profitable yeah, that sounds good <laughs> and a good way to kind of dip your toe into the space like by doing those like games and stuff i like that it's so fun yeah like my, one of my first experiences with blockchain was crypto kitties and i joined in like 2017 yeah. and i've been hooked because it was just <laughs> like so cute and so there Love are it. like yeah there are some really cool fun like cute aspects of blockchain too awesome well thank you so much for your time Bridget I want to ask what is next for you before we wrap up well I'm still grinding at my business continuing to double mm -hmm. it every year and then I think I've, I've tweeted a few times that my main goal when I turn 40 in three and a half years is I'd love to start a Kim Kardashian fan podcast so that's my retirement I would plan. listen to it <laughs> who wouldn't I'll be so. your first listener because <laughs> like I said you always got to follow your passions and you don't know yeah. you don't know how it will make sense but it will make sense in reverse and so that's my next forward-looking plan I think that would be pretty successful <laughs> not gonna lie <laughs> So where can people find you? Uh, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at, at Bridget Casey. So it's B-R-I-D-G-I-E-C-A-S-E-Y. There's lots of fake accounts. So just make sure you get the Bridget Casey spelling correctly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bridget. Thank you, Hannah.